0: Well, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12. Paul now, in the book of Corinthians, has been corrective for about 11 chapters, and he continues his correction in 12 through 14, but in a specific area, and that's the area of uh, spiritual gifts. And if you weren't here last week, uh, grab the tape, listen on the podcast, because we talked about there's a... Uh, um, a difference in the church between people who call themselves continuationists versus cessationists. Cessationists are people who believe that these gifts, that, or most of these gifts, expect especially the miraculous gifts, ceased, thus cessationism, even I can figure that out, ceased at a certain point in time. Some say when the canon closed, the canon, the doctrine, you know, the scriptures was shut and closed and no more added to it. Some say just generally during the apostolic age. That's cessationism. Continuationists believe that, no, no, there's no evidence for that and that the gifts are for today. And this church believes in continuationism. The gifts are still for today. But they must be practiced decently in order, the Bible tells us. And we went through the enumerated gifts that Paul spoke of last week and tried to describe for you and uh, unpack what they are and how they operate. Because the gifts are those things that build up people in the church or build up the body of Christ. And so when we're exercising the gifts, it's good because it exhorts and builds up the church. And there's one gift that's sort of, even to this day, controversial. You'll even see, I think, that the Corinthians were more interested in exercising this versus the other. And and we can talk about why that was, but that's the gift of tongues. That gift, we said, uh, is a non-native tongue that is generally used in your prayer language, but could be used in a public corporate worship Only then if there's an interpreter, but while you're at home, a prayer language, and that one sort of builds you up as you get strength from the Lord and commune with the Lord, right? But also think about it. If you're healthy, the body's healthy, and so that also acts to build up the church. And we went through all of those, and we got uh, through verse 11 concerning spiritual gifts, and he Talked about all the different gifts, but all the same Lord. And the gifts were things like this For one is given the word of wisdom, we talked about that, to another, the word of knowledge. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. Verse 10 of chapter 12. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. And then we jumped over to Romans 12 and saw some other gifts. And remember, I want you to remember, these are supernatural gifts. These aren't talents that the Lord gave you, that's something different. These are something that the Lord gives to us, watch it, he says it in here, as he wills. So we don't think it's something that you can just conjure up, it must be given by the Holy Spirit to you for the edification of the body. Okay. Now I want to take you quickly, verses 12 through the end of the chapter of 1 Corinthians 12, And they're sort of self-explanatory. Remember, what was happening in Corinth, and in this letter in particular, is Paul is responding to problems that were in the church, and apparently, the spiritual gifts sort of got out of control. And many were using it for their own selfish purposes. Wow, sounds like today, when you turn on TV. And you see people pounding their chest and saying, look what I have, and look what I... And, 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 you know, I don't know if you've ever watched one of those programs, and you're going, oh, shoot, I don't have that gift. And the, the implication is, wow, we're so spiritual over here. Why don't you have the gift? Well, Paul was battling that exactly. And so he says to us to remember this. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. For as the body is one... And what's the body? It's the church at large. Anybody who's born again, surrendered their life to Christ, is part of the body of Christ at large. So if there are people in Russia who are part of the family and people in... I mean, there could probably even be people in Michigan who are saved, probably. I'm a Ohio State fan. That's why I'm saying that. But listen... There's people in Michigan, there's people in Zimbabwe, there's people in Australia, there's people in China who are saved. We're all members of the body of Christ. We're one body, and it. but we have many members, but all the members of that one body, keep going with me, being many are one body. So also is Christ, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. When we were saved, when we surrendered our life to Jesus Christ, our old life was was done away with, and we were raised to new life, and we were put into the body of Christ. You may have never felt it. Maybe fireworks didn't go off, but you are. And now I can go over to Michigan, and I can feel, you know, your, your, your friends, that, that connection with another member of the body. And the reason is, is not because we're some social club, the church is. No, there's something different. We have the very life of Christ pulsing in and out of our lives. And we share that. We're one body. We were baptized by the Spirit into this body. Whether Jews or Greeks, keep going in the verse, whether slaves or free, and all have been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many But many, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, it is therefore not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? Isn't it, don't you just praise the Lord? that we're not all the same. Isn't that beautiful? It's so awesome that we're all part of one body, but we're not robots. We're all different. We have different ways of thinking. We have different ways of delivering. We have different interests. We go different places. Isn't it just a masterful plan of the Lord that we all do things differently? In fact, nobody here goes to my work And you can't go to my work because you don't have the security card that I have. But I don't go to your work. You go to your work. Isn't it beautiful? And so there's this thing, there's this unity in Christ, and yet there's this great diversity in the body. How beautiful is that? When we get to heaven, it'll be one of the most spectacular things. But now indeed, verse 20, there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seems to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow great honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need... But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body. In other words, because of this unity yet diversity, or in light of this unity yet diversity, diversity doesn't mean inferiority. You get that? So the person who stands up here doesn't run the church This person's just lead servant or chief servant. But there's tons of other servants in this local little body who are doing different things. And the Lord says, because they're doing different things, they're important too, just as important as this person. That's beautiful. Which means, I mean, look at church life or study church life. Committees and people who run the church And you got to run it by, you know, Gertrude over there, because Gertrude is the one who gives the say-so. Well, all of that is unbiblical, man. None of us are any less important or more important. We're all equal, and we're all rowing in the same direction. You get it? God says... If you think like that, if you think in the appropriate way, there won't be divisions in the body. But if you do think like that, if you start to think those thoughts, there's going to be divisions in the body. And look at this. But that the members should have the same care for one another. So, so here's the thing. You know, the person who's, at uh, you, know, you know, up in the youth room before church praying for the service And nobody knows and nobody sees. Let's care for them just like we care for the pastor. And let's care for the people who clean here and the people who set up the chairs and the people who prepare the food and the greeters. Let's care for one another. You see that? We're all in this together. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And we're doing that today. or if one member is honored all the members rejoice with it see there's no there's no room here for competition and i got to tell you i fight that in my own natural life because i grew up in that arena my whole life but when the where the spirit of the lord is i can look to the other people and say yay for you i'm so glad that's happening for you and so we need to be people when our people are suffering that we would come around and just suffer with them. Hugs and we're here and here's a bowl of soup or or whatever. And yet when somebody is promoted or does great, fantastic. We're so happy for you. Praise the Lord. It's all of us together and yet we're separate. (laughs) We all have different gifts. Now, You are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administration, variety of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? And the answer is no. And Paul's saying here, don't put trips on people. Because they have a gift that you don't have. Or you have a gift that they don't have. Sorry, there we go. I said it backwards. That you have a gift that they don't have. Oh, wow. You don't have the gift of tongues, huh? Are you even saved? You ever heard that some places? Well, Paul says right here plainly, oh, you have the gift of prophecy? Or, you know, I have the gift of prophecy and you don't? And Paul says plainly right here, he gives as he wills. Don't put trips on people. That's not loving. In fact, it's so heavy on his heart. He says, but I want you to desire the best gifts, and yet I'm going to show you a more excellent way. So there's a balance in the church. Of course we should be exercising our gifts and our talents and using them all for the glory of God. Of course we should be exercising those. But we shouldn't be putting trips on people, whether they have it or not, or you shouldn't be putting a trip on yourself, and that often happens. Wow, I, I don't mean anything to the body. No, 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 no. You're very important to the body. We love you, and we want to help you uh, find your ministry and equip you for it. There's the banner. And, 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 and all grow together as, as many come to be saved before Jesus comes back. Okay, now watch. He says this. Apparently, Paul had the gift of tongues. How do I know? I just read (laughs) verse 1 13 though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but have not love I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal you know what Paul was dealing with here he's he he apparently speaks with the tongues of men and of angels and we talked about this uh, last week about what speaking in tongues is And here he references that some people, even though he wouldn't understand the tongue he was speaking, some men could hear it. But then he apparently also refers to a heavenly language that the angels speak. And that uh, sort of is his prayer language, I think, as we keep moving on. But nevertheless, don't focus on that. The point of this is, if you're exercising these gifts and you don't have love, You've become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Now, do you know this? Do you know this? See, some of the uh, gods that were worshipped in Corinth, some of the gods that were worshipped in Corinth, some of the rituals that they would use is they, they would bring symbols together and try to appease the deities by clanging symbols together. And people could hear it outside of the temples that they were worshiping in. And it just became sort of a rote, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, not special at all, but a, but a symbol, uh, a, uh, S-Y-M, uh, a, a signal, a symbol of what people were doing inside of the temple. And they were doing it over and over again. And so on one hand... What Paul is saying here is if you're doing things like speaking in tongues and of angels, it's okay because I do it, but you gotta have love involved. Because if you don't have love, it's as if none of it counts for eternity. Did you get that? It's just something that even the pagans do. It also is that whole thing that you're 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 doing these things to edify yourself or others in the church, but you are so irritating with it and how you try to project it on other people that there never even seems that you love anybody. And so your exercise of this gift, it's almost selfish because you're doing it, but it's not loving. You've become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries... So think about this, even in his worship, he says, because that's sort of what the gift of tongues would be, it would be this prayer language, or even in your prayers, in your prayer and worship, if you're not doing it out of love, whoa, wait a second, if you if you have the gift of prophecy and with your head you understand now all the mysteries and all knowledge, and remember what Paul had said earlier what does knowledge do? It puffs up. If you have all this, and though you have faith, think about it you have this prayer and devotion that's without love, you have this prophecy that includes your understanding and knowledge, or if you even have faith that could remove mountains, obviously he's referring to Matthew 17, where it said if you had faith as a mustard seed, you could move Matthew. And he says, but if you have all of those and no love, listen, Paul says, I'm nothing. Everything I'm doing matters not. And you're all saying, well, that's great because, you know, this is pastor speak. You've got to say it. But what he does here is he then tells you not only is love preeminent, it must be the first thing in your life. Can you imagine when you die, saying to yourself, "Well, you know, I want written on my tombstone, I spoke in tongues," <laughs> or maybe, "Hey, put on my tombstone. Could you do this that I was a pro- I had the gift of prophecy?" <laughs> what? Or how about put on your tombstone? Man, the faith that this that I had was amazing. <laughs> you see the selfishness there. And yet Paul says these are good things. They, the gifts are good things. There needs to be a balance. But he says, if you don't have love, none of it matters. None of it. And so you have to say, wow. Let's examine the quality of the love or the nature of this love when we will. But he says, I, even if I bestowed all my goods to feed the poor, don't you sometimes during the holiday season weep for the world? You do. You weep for the world. You weep for those who don't have. And, of course, you want to help and, and do that. But, you know, there's another way in which you weep for the world. You know, when you see on the local news stations... And they're doing the drives with the money and the funds. And it's all good. God can use it. I'm not saying that. Don't you weep a little bit because people are thinking, my goodness, I can buy my way into goodness. Or or how about this? Paul actually says, and though I give my body to be burned, (laughs) You, you imagine martyrdom, having to be burned at the stake for your faith in Christ And you have not love, it profits you nothing. That's what Paul says. Because the the gifts, again, are important, but there must be love preeminent in your life. So when you die, (laughs) wouldn't it just be great? He or she loved. Period. Period. Okay, if that's the case, if love is preeminent, it's the most important thing as we live our Christian life, as we even exercise our gifts. We, we, we're told not to be selfish. We're part of the body. If one party suffers, all of us suffer. If one party prevails or gets a promotion or has something good, then we all rejoice. Uh, if, if one party has a gift or one person in the body has a gift, wonderful. If I don't have it, I'm still happy for you. No big deal. I uh, It's so wonderful. That's great. I'm glad you're using it to enrich the body. But if you think things like, well, you know, I speak in tongues and, and you don't. and I mean, God gave me a prophecy last week and I told it to the pastor and he was really impressed. Or man, the faith that I have is just amazing. Or, you know, I would give $10,000. i would just put it right in there. No problems. Or, I would even die for my faith. Well, those can be good things, but if they're not mixed with love, if they don't have love as the motivation, Paul says it's nothing. Not something, not a little bit. He says it's nothing. So this is preeminent in the Christian life. And so we need to figure out the nature of God's love because the love that he's writing about here is not human sentimentality. Write that down. It's not good feelings. It's not fuzzy, warm feelings. In fact, throughout this entire chapter, for the word love, he's using the word agape. You know this, right? That I love steak. Do you guys love steak? I'm not a vegetarian. I love steak, man. I love it. I love steak. And I really love Ohio State football, if none of you know I mean, I love Ohio State football, but I also love my wife, and I just used the same word for all three, and they all meant something a little bit different. (laughs) Hopefully, I don't love Jan like I love the steak. (laughs) And you know this, throughout the Bible, there's at least four different words or four different words for for love. You you get this, right? Phileo love. That's brotherly love, where we get the word of Philadelphia. It's friendship love. And there's Eros love. It's the romantic, or it could even cross over into inappropriate, you know, lusting love. But Eros love, that too. There's a Storge love, S-T-O-R-G-E. That's family love that you have for one another. But then there's a word called agape, and that's the word that's being used here. And I I just want you to remember this, that agape love isn't emotion necessarily. It can be, but it doesn't need to have emotion. It's God is love. This is what God's love is. It's agape love. It's unconditional love. And let me just read you a couple quotes. It's an act of the will. Did you catch that? Not an act of the fuzzy feelings. It chooses its object. Are you you catching that? God demonstrates his love towards us. That's choosing its object. And it chooses its object through thick or thin, regardless of the attractiveness or the worthiness of the object concerned. And it goes on loving continually, eternally. And that's just sort of scratching the surface of God's love. So what I'm saying is here, Paul tells us that in our Christian walk, especially in the area of spiritual gifts, but in all of our Christian walk, love is preeminent. And now he wants you to know what his love looks like because it doesn't look like the popular secular songs that speak of man, she makes me so happy. She's my world to me. Yes, that's fine too, but that's not it. That that's you look good. Hopefully, I look good. But the problem is, and now we'll come together and love each other. But the problem is, at some point, I start to not look so good. And that's not real love. Agape love is the choosing love. And, of course, it can bring emotions. But it's the deliberate act of the will to love somebody no matter what. And you're saying to yourself, I think, wow that's difficult. Yeah, it is. But hold on. Let's look at what what, uh, Paul says love is, or God's love is. It suffers long. It's long-suffering. It's not long-suffering. First of all, this this love comes from a self-denial or self-denying love, not thinking of self, In fact, the word is used for you shall love your enemies, and God is love. The word agape is used there. But here, in order to do and to love like that, you need to know the quality of the love, and then you need something else, and we'll talk about that at the beginning. Beck stole my thunder when he talked about it today. And it's love suffers long. Now, think about that. This implies when somebody has wronged you. Who here loves to be wronged, backstabbed? cut to the quick by a friend or maybe even a foe. Well, this is an ingredient of love. It's a suffering long love. God's love is suffering long. When wronged, listen, it still stays patient and can be silent and won't succumb or give in to anger. Are you guys catching this? Maybe it's only me that I'm being convicted, but I'm being convicted. Love suffers a wound and an injury, listen to this one, without striking. Are you kidding me? My whole life was taught, if somebody injures you, you think about how you get back at them. That's how I thought before Christ. I would file it away. And I knew if I didn't get them then, I would file it away. It might not be next week. It might not be the week after, but I'll get them. See, here... This suffering long means that you've suffered a wound and an injury, and you won't strike back. (laughs) You you are the person who's been wronged and can avenge the wrong, but you won't do it out of mercy and patience. That's God's love. That's suffering long. How about this? (laughs) God's love... (laughs) is kind. You go, okay, well, sure, okay, great. What about when people irritate you or are irritating? This grace, this positive grace, not only, look, 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 he puts these two together, I'm convinced, because the suffering long is like the negative, okay? I'm not going to strike back. But then he tells you something positive. Not only are you not to strike back, you're to be kind to the person. You're to be graceful to the person. You're to be courteous to the person. You just don't tolerate people and suffer long. You just don't tolerate them. you kind to them with God's love. That's what kindness is. What's the next one? As we examine the character of God's love. Love doesn't envy. Love doesn't envy. Now you see this? You know, if we were here and we were waiting upon the Lord and God gave prophecy to my friend John Kennedy and, you know, God gave him a prophecy, you know, the first week we did it. And then, you know, I'm thinking to myself as I go home, I could start thinking to myself, Lord, why didn't you give it to me? And then maybe next week, you know, God gave uh, John the gift of healings that we operate. Man, Lord, why why didn't you give that to me? We don't envy Envy's not, doesn't envy, doesn't resent when someone else gets blessed. Are you catching that? We don't resent people when somebody else gets blessed. Somebody has a financial windfall or a bonus, or maybe they live in a house that doesn't, or you know, overmatches yours or whatever, has a car that costs more or something. You don't begrudge Them Or maybe they get many more gifts, like I was telling with John, and they have privileges with others, or they're in a circle that you would like to run in. Let me me read you this, uh, what Alan Redpath says. Only love can see all the inequities of life and remain content with its own place. Did you catch that? Only love can see all the inequities of life and remain content... In its own place. Where there's no love, you see, envy ushers itself in. You're you're willing, because of the love that God puts in your heart, you're willing that others should even be preferred even before you in Christ. Are you catching that? Love doesn't parade itself. What does parade itself mean? Think about you being on a show. You being the show. No showing off. You're able to work and serve, and love, and grow, and pray, and worship anonymously. You don't need the pastor to see you, or the people to see you. No, you don't parade yourself. You're not braggart. You're not conceited or proud. You never seek to get the praise of men or applause from others. Again, Alan Redpath commenting on this. This one strikes right to the quick, folks. When a man or woman begins to boast, he or she is advertising their emptiness and their ignorance. Oh, wow. Ouch. What else is love? Love isn't puffed up. It's not self-focused. It's not prideful. It focuses on others. Here's one thing that I think you can include in that. You're never contemptuous of others. You don't have a lack of respect or reverence. Oh, my Politicos. I've never seen such a lack of respect for other people than when people start talking about politics. The Bible says that we're to pray for our leaders. Do I have to agree with everything my leader does or our leader does? No. In fact, I disagree with most of what our leader would do now. But he's our leader and he's a person and God loves him. Love isn't puffed up. You don't, how could we have contempt for anybody else when we were the most contemptuous people out there with our sin and our ugliness and our evil that God saved us out of? No, lack of respect and reverence for people. Do you reverence somebody who has a high position in the world and to the lower position people? Do you talk differently? to different people based on their economic or social status. Well, that's being puffed up. What? Here's another thing. Everybody in here, this is funny. I don't know about you, but I just have a feeling all of us in here are going, well, that person does that, and that person does that, and the problem is we're not thinking about ourselves. And here comes another one. Doesn't behave rudely or unseemly. You're not ill-mannered, you're courteous to people. You have good manners, and this shows itself out in daily life, and especially at home, and I'd be the first one to say, I'm guilty of this. When I slip out of walking in the Spirit but walking in the flesh, doesn't behave rudely. We're kind and courteous to people. What if we just did these ones? We don't seek our own, not selfish. What are the, what's the first thing that happens when you hit the floor, your feet hit the floor in the morning? Who, who do you think of? I know who I think of. Mostly me and my schedule. It doesn't seek its own. It gives preference to one another. You could look Romans 12.10 up or Philippians 2.4. You're self-forgetful. It's not that you're denigrating yourself. It's just you're thinking of others. Oh, how about this one? This should get us all. Love does, is not easily provoked. You know what provoked is, right? It's like poking a bear with a stick. <laughs> and you're the bear, <laughs> or I'm the bear. <laughs> it's not easily provoked. You don't have a bad temper. How about this? You're not irritable or touchy or temperamental. You're not thin-skinned. You can laugh at yourself, and you're not easily offended. Come on, folks. That isn't hitting anybody anywhere. Come on. You're not easily provoked. That's the love of God. How about this? You think no evil. Love doesn't store up in here the memory of any way a wrong happened to you. Um, You can let things go. You don't keep those record of wrongs to get even with people. Mm. (laughs) How about this? You know who was a great example of thinks no evil? I mean, it's almost too hard to believe when you read the history. Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln is one of the great examples of thinks no evil. Didn't keep a record of wrongs. In fact, Abraham Lincoln brought in at least three, and many more than three, of his closest advisors who initially hated hated him. I mean, didn't like him at all. In fact, they were all running against him for president, and he brought him into the cabinet. And in some respects, the governor of Ohio, who now was in his cabinet, everybody openly knew he was trying to run against him in the next election and yet he kept him there, and he was charitable with him. Abraham Lincoln's one of the greatest historical figures in our time that didn't keep any record of wrongs, and you could read the book Team of Rivals and see that. It's fascinating. Well, how about this? Doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. You want the best for others. You, you, you're never happy, and if you were honest with yourself... This would hit you in the, right here, but you're never happy when others things go wrong for others. And you're not happy by their downfall, but you're happy with their goodness and the things that they prevail in spiritually. You don't rejoice in exposing the weakness of other people. That's what rejoicing in iniquity or rejoicing in truth could mean. You, you yearn to cover and protect the man or woman who has fallen and made sinful mistakes. That's what this means. How about this? You bear all things. Love bears all things. You're strong. You, you suffer without retaliation and you get under the load of people's lives and business and you help them to put it up, bear it up. That's the quality of love we're talking about. You believe all things. In other words, you're not suspicious. You take the kind view of others. As long as it can take, and you should choose to believe the best in people, and that they can be saved, and they're not a lost cause, and you don't throw people on the trash heap. You hope all things in God's love. You never give up. You have confidence in the future. That's what this means. It doesn't say that you like the circumstances, but you have confidence in God in the future because he can work it out and will work it out. And you endure all things. You see, look, here's the funny part. Some people can bear all things, believe all things, and hope all things, but only for a time. It says endure all things. In other words, people can't conquer this love. It won't stop because it endures, it keeps going, it never stops. You endure all things for the sake of Christ. (laughs) One, One commentator says, this quality of God's love destroys enemies by turning them into friends. Isn't that interesting? And love never fails, it lasts. In every child of God, William Barclay says, in every circumstances for 24 hours a day, love lasts and hangs in there with people. Now, I just ran through that with you because God says that the most important thing for us in the church is love. If you're the greatest theological wizard in here, hats off to you. But if you have not love, you're just a... No one cares. You have to be loving. That's how we impact for the kingdom. And then he says, here's the quality of my love, and we just ran through it. And then he goes, love never fails. It's indestructible. Are you catching that? This is what enters into eternity. This is what passes into eternity with you. The love you have and the love for people and the love God has for you. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. We don't have it all figured out yet. You getting that? And remember, just as an aside, the cessationists versus the continuationists then debate Verse 10, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part, which are the gifts, will be done away. So when is that? Well, for a continuation, we, continuationists, it's when things are made perfect, when Jesus Christ comes and we have our glorified, resurrected body and we're living with him for a thousand years, then we won't need the gifts. That's what a continuation is. That's what we believe. So that's what he's speaking about. But I want you to see this part when I was a child I spoke as a child I understood as a child I don't know everything that I know now or that I'm going to know then is what Paul is saying I thought as a child but when I became a man I put away childish things now watch this in Corinth isn't this fascinating they were famous for making mirrors So Paul meets them right in their kitchen, doesn't he? You say, why would Paul pick to write about a mirror here? (laughs) Because in Corinth, they made mirrors. And you know how we can see, and you look at a mirror, and unfortunately, it shows me what I am? You're like, oh, man, my bad hair day. (laughs) Okay, in Corinth, they didn't have the glass that we have. And, you know, they had these bronze things, and it was hard to see in. But you could see, you know... If you needed to shave or something, I don't think they shaved, but you you get what I'm saying. They did shave, but you get what I'm saying. They couldn't see as well. It was was blurry, and it was dark, and they had to really peer into that. And so Paul's making a reference here about the gifts. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then we're going to see him face to face. It's clear to me when we see him face to face, which we don't now, if anyone sees God now, he'll never live. When it says in the Old Testament that they spoke face-to-face, they just meant they had fellowship. But we're going to see God face-to-face in eternity, really, and we're going to have fellowship. And when that happens, the gifts are going to fade away or go away. And he's making that reference here. But I want you to see this. Now I know in part, but then I shall know. This is so beautiful. This is like right at the crux, right at the Heart of Christianity. This is it. This little verse stuck in there that we always skip over. See, because what we're headed to is that we're going to know him like he knows us now. As much as we can know in our glorified resurrected bodies and be and understand, as much as we can, we're not going to be a God, but we're going to see God. And see, this is beautiful. We're going to know him like he knows us. And the Bible does say, he knows all the hairs on your head. He takes care of you like a little bird. He knows you, man. He knows what you like. He knows what you hate. He knows what you struggle with. He knows what you're victorious in. He knows your deepest, darkest secrets, and he loves you in that. And he keeps coming for you, and he loves, when, uh, uh, you know, your, your triumphs and holiness and all that and all the whole thing, the whole kit and caboodle, everything that you are, he knows you. And you, see, I, I think this. I was talking to my friend Dom this weekend about this very issue. See, I think this is the key to the Bible, that you're known by God. That makes such a difference in our lives. He knows you. Why would he even pay attention to me? And yet he knows you. And so when you get to heaven, I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. And then you say, time out. Why is he saying this here? He's saying it because he's like, you guys are arguing and being selfish with spiritual gifts and you're, you're losing the big picture here. And you're down in the weeds and it's causing division and selfishness and problems. Yes, I've given spiritual gifts. Yes, they're to edify the body. But folks, you're going to live with me in eternity. Quit it. Be loving towards one another. And remember, if you do these things without love, it's just, you're not very effective. It's nothing. And now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. And you could look throughout the New Testament where these, uh, I'll give you a couple. First Thessalonians 1, 3. 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, Galatians, uh, I think, 5, 6. In those areas, he talks about faith, hope, and love a lot. Why is love the greatest? What is faith? It's trusting God, it's believing in God, it's knowing God and putting your hands in, in, in God's plans, or, in, or putting your plans into God's hands. Sorry about that, right? That's faith. What's hope? not hope like i hope it happens you know it's going to happen it's hope for the future it's coming you're going to live with the lord forever but but love what's love love is this settled willful choice to love people it's god's grace the greatest of these is love well several people have different answers see Hope is important here, love is important here, or excuse me, faith is important here, but when you get into the heavenly kingdom with the Lord and you become face-to-face, of course, faith and hope will be there, but love will be the most important thing because now you're face-to-face with him. There's certainly that. Alan Redpath says this, both faith and hope are related to love, You cannot separate them. Faith possesses the past by laying hold upon Calvary and making it real in my life. That's faith. Laying hold upon Calvary and making it real in my life. Hope claims the future and looks beyond into glory. Love dominates my life right now. This is Christian living. Faith says, Jesus Christ came to save me. Hope says, He is coming again to take me to be with him. Love says he abides in my heart today. Isn't that great? Now look, all of this. You know what I say when I read this chapter? Help! I go help, man. (laughs) Because I don't love like that in my own nature. So where do we get our help? Well, Beck referred to it today in Romans 5. Go over there. This wonderful verse here about how faith triumphs in trouble. And you're you're reading along here in chapter 5 of Romans, and you're going, yeah, all right, faith triumphs in trouble. And it's really cool. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Praise the Lord for justification. Praise the Lord for faith. Praise the Lord for this peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access. So praise the Lord for access to this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God and praise the Lord for the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. We're happy in tribulations knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope. Now hope doesn't disappoint. See, you got them all right here. Faith, hope, and love. But watch this and here's the verse. Why doesn't hope disappoint? Why is faith okay and good and wonderful? Here it comes. Ready? Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. In other words, what we've been reading about in 1 Corinthians 13 comes to us as God takes his, I'm just making this big, you know, fire hose hose, you know, and he just sticks it into your heart and just says, turn it on. And what are we to be? We're to be just ladies, women's retreat, earthen vessels. Just clean out the dust. Be available and ask the Holy Spirit to fill us with this love. So how do we get it? What do we do? We ask. Would any dad give you a, <laughs> this if you asked for that? Would he give you an evil thing if you ask? No, you just ask for the supernatural love of God. And then I would suggest this. The situation or the person that is making you pray this prayer, start praying for them. You pray for the supernatural love of Christ to come into your life by the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Then pray for them and ask God to help them and bless them. And then you see over the next two weeks, Or even sooner what God can do see this is the love that we're to have here in the fellowship for each other this is the love we are to have for the world this love says I'm glad you got that gift even if I didn't and this love says wow I got this gift and that person doesn't I'm not going to parade it around We defer to the other. Isn't that beautiful? All right, let's pray. We're going to ask these guys to come and uh, lead us in worship. As we close out 1 Corinthians 13, uh, let's pray together. Would you all pray with me? I mean, you don't have to, if you don't, and I'm not trying to embarrass you, but who wants that sort of love? I want that sort of love. If you want that sort of love, let's pray together that God would keep filling us, and we'd respond to the filling and the call that he has on our lives to lay our lives down for the world, for people who would come to know him in a real and saving way through our lives. I, I understand we're to have boundaries in our life, and we could talk about that. And So I'm not talking about abuse or anything like that, but may the Lord make us stepping stones for people to know him. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we just come here as brothers and sisters. When we read this eternal word, you make it clear to us that we are to um, love like you love. And Lord, we understand and know that if we walk according to the flesh and not according to the spirit, it becomes very difficult. So we need you more of you. We need you to supply this to us, to pour it out in our hearts as you say you will. And then, Lord, help us then to go out and love people. In fact, if we say we're wanting to do this, you might just give us somebody this afternoon to irritate us or to bother us or whatever. Help us to hang in with those people and endure and bear all things with them. Help us not to be complainers of which I'm the chief. And to love and to be gentle, but truthful too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.